following sermon was recorded at Chiang Mai Christian Fellowship in Chiang Mai, Thailand. For more information, please view our website at www.ccfth.org. We're looking again this morning in Hebrews chapter 12. If you have a Bible or would like to turn there, and um, we'll begin by reading from verses 3 through 11. Verses 3 through 11. Um, by the way, I, get, I have had the opportunity to teach the Lahu guys, and um, it's a great privilege and joy. Uh, in most of the villages, the only two printed books they have access to are a Bible in Lahu and a hymn book. So they, they love to sing. And um, it's one of the reasons the correspondence, of course, is so attractive to them. It's an opportunity for them to read something different besides those two books. Uh, and has been very, very useful in helping them really understand what the Bible's about. All right, let's read uh, Hebrews 12, 3 through 11. Consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself, so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. In your struggle against sin, you have not resisted to the point of shedding blood. And have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons? My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved by him. For the Lord disciplines the one he loves and chastises every son whom he receives. It is for discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? If you are left without discipline, in which all have participated, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. Besides this, we have had earthly fathers who disciplined us, and we respected them. Shall we not much more be subject to the Father of spirits and live? For they disciplined us for a short time, as it seemed best to them. But he disciplines us for our good, that we may share his holiness. For the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant. But later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. <coughs> All right. <coughs> this uh, is probably not everybody's favorite passage in the Bible because none of us like suffering. None of us like pain. And it's not exactly good news to hear that, um, that this is God's plan and purpose for our life. But it is. Um, and I, I like in verse, uh, verse 4, he talks about, in your struggle against sin, you have not resisted to the point of shedding blood. And I'm like, okay, I didn't know this is what I was signing up for, right? What's this part about shedding blood? Uh, this is not what I thought this was about. Um, uh, and, of course, he's comparing uh, to Jesus, who did shed his blood in his suffering. And he's kind of like saying... Uh, you, know, you have nothing to complain about, right? You haven't died yet. What's your, what's your problem? Um, and it, it raises the question that for, for many of us is, um, you know, this idea that God is supposed to be a loving, caring God who protects his children. What is all this talk about suffering and pain and <clears throat> blood? Uh, if, if God is a loving God 
then why doesn't he protect us from all of this trouble and pain? Like, isn't that what a loving father does? Uh, what does this talk about suffering and pain? Uh, and this is a, a problem for a lot of people. A lot of people stru- struggle and wrestle with this. And, and it's because we have the wrong idea of what pain is. Uh, it's interesting when you talk to, especially non-believers, uh, it's a very common thought that any kind of suffering at all is not just difficult or hard or challenging, but it's evil. Right? And they'll tell you, why is there evil in the world? When they say, why is there evil in the world? They say, why do people get sick? Why do people get cancer? <clears throat> why, do, why do planes crash? Right? Anything that's considered uncomfortable is equated with evil. And oftentimes we pick up on that same idea and we think the same thing. We think, if bad things come into my life, if I struggle, if I'm sick, if I have hardship, it's evil. <clears throat> and why would a good and loving God allow me to experience evil. But as we will see, it's a great misunderstanding. And the truth is, uh, pain and suffering are not evil. Uh, Now, certainly there can be evil things and evil forces that will try to hurt us. And one of the uh, aims or goals of of evil is to destroy us. But that doesn't mean that all all suffering or all pain or all difficulty is inherently evil. In fact, we'll see from this passage that God has actually a very good purpose in it. And that it's not a sign uh, if we experience difficult things that God does not love us. And I remember feeling this. I remember going through trials and difficulties and thinking, you know, I don't think God loves me. If God really loved me, he wouldn't let me suffer and struggle with these things. Uh, so, So what about God's love? If God is loving and caring, if he really is looking after us, then why does he allow so much suffering and difficulty in our lives? And you might be in a place right now where your life is not uh, really suffering that much. Certainly the people uh, that the author of Hebrews was writing to were facing severe persecution, uh, being put in jail for their faith and uh, beaten up and um, even even tortured and killed. And uh, we may not suffer those kind of big things, uh, but one, one author wrote that sometimes it's the culmination of all the little things that can be even worse. Right? Maybe we don't have huge disasters in our life, but the truth is the day after day after day, things break, things go wrong, there's trouble, there's relationship conflicts, there's difficulties. And sometimes those things can wear us down and we can start to feel exhausted by, uh, by it. And uh, you know, I've noticed, uh, I don't know why it is, it's just, I don't know why it's just my bad luck or what it is, but I feel like here, things break much easier. Like, I feel like everything breaks. And I mean, I've had days where everything in my life broke all at the same time. And it's like, it's exhausting. Uh, And it takes energy to get it fixed and deal with it. Uh, This past week, my computer died. Right? Uh, Sometimes those little things can pile up on us. So it's not just the big trials, major suffering like a cancer, but it can be even just the daily struggles that we can start feeling, God, where are you? Don't you love me? Well, as we'll see, uh, uh, it is actually in those very things that oftentimes God is showing his love and faithfulness. So let's look at what, what he has to say about our suffering and how we can have a better perspective on it. And the first thing we want to talk about is just the basic truth about what suffering is, where it comes from, and who's responsible for it. He says in verse 5, uh, and he, he's quoting here actually, Proverbs 3, 11, and 12. And as he does oftentimes through the book, he quotes old, the Old Testament to 
in essence, preach from. And so he quotes from Proverbs 3, verses 11, 12, and he says, And have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons? My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be wearied when reproved by him. For the Lord disciplines the one he loves, and he chastises every son whom he receives. Um, the bottom line is, and I want to be super clear on this, uh, and it may be a little odd at first, but the truth is that uh, it's God's fault. Okay? Ultimately, it is God's fault if you are suffering. Uh, you know, a lot of times our theology breaks down and we, we fail to recognize how sovereign God is over all things in the world. Right? God is, in essence, a gatekeeper of our life. He is sovereign, he's in control, he has dominion and rule over everything. And nothing ever comes into your life and God goes, oh man, I did not see that coming. It never happens. It's like, you know, I was on vacation, I wasn't checking my email, I wasn't monitoring, you know, everything. I just didn't know. Right? That will never happen, ever. Right? God is aware of absolutely everything. He knows what's coming. He knows what threats are, are trying to get at you. He knows uh, the schemes of Satan, right? And everything must come through him and by him. Right? That's what it means for him to be a sovereign, almighty God who's in control of all things. Uh, we see this pictured in, in, in the book of Job with Job, right? Uh, Satan wants to destroy Job. Satan does not like, uh, like Job. And he accuses him of, of only being good because he's... Because God takes good care of him, you know, because he was so wealthy. No wonder you, you know, he praises God. Who wouldn't? Right? But take all that away and just see what happens. Right? And, and Satan is not free to inflict anything on Job without what? Without getting permission from God first. And he goes and he accuses and he gives his case and he says, I want permission to do this. And what does God say? <laughs> Go for it. <laughs> like, thanks. <laughs> thanks. Right? We need to understand that this is what it means to worship and serve a sovereign God. He is a gatekeeper in your life, and nothing comes into your life, absolutely nothing comes into your life that does not pass through Him, and for which He gives permission. Now, it's not to say that God is the source or cause of every evil or every problem or every struggle in your life. Right? The, the, it may come from many sources. It may come from... Uh, living in a sinful, broken world. It may come from Satan who's trying to destroy us. It may come from our own sinful, bad choices, and we reap the consequences of, of, of doing stupid things or uh, making bad decisions. Right? Uh, the, the cause or the source of it may be many different things, but ultimately, God could prevent it. Right? God could stop it. God could protect you even from your own stupidity, praise God, he does often. Like, like probably we don't know how much he protects us from our own bad choices. Uh, and so when, when, when he does not protect, right, when he allows suffering to come into our life, it's because he allowed it, right? He allowed it. In his wisdom and loving care, he has a purpose in it. Uh, and, and, and so that's what he says here. He says, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord or be weary when reproved by him. For he disciplines the one he loves and he chastises every son whom he receives. Um, he tells us in this passage that there's basically two attitudes that are vital to us understanding and appreciating what's happening. 
Right? And the first attitude, he says, and they're, they're commands, so he's, they're not just optional. He's telling us, you need to have, well, actually it's the negative. He's saying you should not have these two attitudes. First one, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord. Okay, regarding lightly means that we are not taking seriously that this actually came from God. And uh, if you're like me, if you're a, a pessimist to the max, like that's me, if you're Eeyore to your bones, right, and you're the guy going on going, woe is me, my life is a cloud of constant doom, and, you know, you know I don't know what's going to happen today, but I know it's going to be bad, and I just know that's just the way life is, right? Okay, that's some people's attitude. And they just kind of assume life is full of trouble, life is full of problems, and things go bad, and that's just the way it is, and we just have to deal with it. That is taking lightly the discipline of the Lord, because it's not acknowledging where it came from. Right? It's ignoring its, its ultimate source, that God is sending these things into our life for a purpose. And it's super important to acknowledge that. When you're dealing with struggles and difficulties and problems, first thing we need to do is not take it lightly that that's just the way life is. Right? It's not just the way life is. Okay? That difficulty has come into your life because the great gatekeeper of our life has opened the door and invited that, invited that trouble into your life. He's welcomed it with open arms. This is going to be great. <laughs> Let's see what this does. Right? Right? So don't take it lightly. Second warning. He says... Uh, don't be weary when reproved by him or corrected by him. The other attitude that gets us into trouble is to feel weary or worn out. The, the word literally could be translated to be uh, exhausted or the, the idea of being crushed by it. Uh, some people feel overwhelmed by all the problems and they feel so burdened that they just get discouraged and they think, I can't do this, right? They're not people who are enduring because they feel like the burden of it all is just going to crush them. Well, why is that? Well, the problem is that they likewise are not really seeing that God has allowed this and that God is good and loving and he is not going to send anything your way that's going to crush you to death. It might kill you. Uh, it may do that, but it's not going to destroy you. That he's a good and loving God who will only send into your life Things that he knows are good for you, good for me, right? So, so we're not overwhelmed by it. And we know that, that God meters it. He, he, it is for a season, right? And, and God will manage his discipline, right? He will control it. But so those are the, uh, the two attitudes that we need to embrace as we, as we think about hardship and suffering uh, and, and the best way to get the right perspective on all this is to understand clearly that, that this is the work of a loving father. Right? Um, our relationship with God, God is a sovereign God. He's a God who's the creator of the universe. And when through the blood of Jesus we, we are saved and we come into a relationship with this God who created everything, uh, the relationship that he most seeks with, with us, the desires most for us, is not that we would come before him as this huge God who's over all things or as some great Lord or Master. What he desires of us is that we would know him as a father. As a father. That he would be toward us as, as his children. And here he uses pre predominantly the word sons. It's not a slight against women. And if you're a woman, um, this is a good thing to be a son of God. Because in, in ancient cultures, 
Sons were the ones who inherited property. And so to be a son means to be, uh, to be an heir, right? To be one to whom all that belongs to the father is passed on. And that is God's heart towards you and I as a father who loves us as his son to whom his, 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 his entire wealth, all of his possessions, he shares together with us as a loving and caring father. Um, uh, so he says in, in verse 6, the Lord uh, disciplines the one he loves. He chastises every son whom he receives. It is for discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons. And he uses two different terms here for discipline. One is, is the word discipline. He disciplines the one he loves. Uh, it is an act of what a loving father does for his son. And um, the second one is, is a little harsher. It's, it's that he chastises every son whom he receives. The word chastise, and I get this, um, and I'll explain, but the chastise word literally means to beat with a whip. <laughs> um, it's pretty harsh words. And uh, clearly it's this idea of, of perhaps punishment or very severe corrective behavior, action. Um, uh, and, and it was appropriate in, in, in Old Testament times. When we understand the context of Old Testament law, it actually makes sense. And here's what the law of Moses commanded. And we don't, we're, we're not under the law. Okay, so we don't practice this now, just to be very clear. But under the Old Testament, this is how it worked. If you had a son who was rebellious... Um, it wasn't just a problem for you and your family. It was considered to be a problem for the whole social or order of the nation. And what was the consequence or penalty of having a rebellious son? Did they go to, did they go like to time out for a few hours? No. Did they go to like some detention center or some special school? No. Did they go to jail? No. What was, what was the command? They were to be stoned to death. Right? So it was serious. Right? So if you had a son and you saw him starting to go down a path of rebellion and you saw that in his life he was taking steps of self-destructive behavior and making super bad choices, uh, you, you should fear for his life. And as a son whom you care about, whom you want to pass on your inheritance and your estate and your, your, your wealth, right? you, want, you want him to not be stoned to death <laughs> before you die. Right? So you would take serious action. You would take serious steps to correct and make sure um, because the consequences of his rebellion were severe. Right? So it was viewed as an act of mercy and grace, uh, an act of compassion and love to intervene in a very extreme way. If, if, if a son was being extremely rebellious, you matched it with extreme discipline. Now I'm not saying, and uh, a, lot, a lot of Christians I think that because it says that in the Old Testament, we should do this to our children now. Uh, you pray about that one. I'm not so sure that's always the best, uh, beating them with a the whip. I think there may be other ways. The point is, our children need discipline. They do need instruction. They need correction. They need training and teaching. And it's what a loving parent does because we want the best for them, right? We want to invest in them. We want to protect them. We want to learn how to make good choices so that they will be healthy uh, and thriving adults who can take care of themselves and glorify God. Uh, and so that's what a father does. He says, God is treating you as sons. Right? When God opens the gate and invites trouble to come into your life, he's doing that because you are his children. Um, and, and just to be clear on this, 
uh, God existed in, in, a, in a trinity, right? Long before Jesus was born. Throughout all eternity past, God has been a triune God. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And God the Father and God the Son have lived in this father-son relationship, right? That, that characterized their love and affection and the way they interacted with each other from eternity past. Uh, would God bring harm on his son Jesus? Well, yes, he did, right? Uh, and the author of Hebrews has already talked about this. In Hebrews 2.10 he said, For it was fitting, it was appropriate that he that is God, um, God for whom and by whom all things exist, in bringing many sons to glory, should make the founder of their salvation, that's Jesus, perfect through suffering. Right? God inflicted this kind of discipline on his own son, Jesus. And not because Jesus had sin that needed to be dealt with or because he was not somehow morally perfect, but because this, this discipline, this training, what was, what was required for him to, uh, to come to a perfect state, again, not morally, but of experiencing the life of, uh, of a human being and, and, and thereby proving through his obedience that he was holy and fit as our sacrifice, as our substitute on the cross. Uh, so this is what a loving father does. And in fact, he continues on and he gives a bit of a comment, commentary in the next few verses explaining this. And he says um, in verse 7, It is for discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? If you are left without discipline, in which all have participated, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. He says, look, this is actually proof not that God doesn't love you, but in fact that he loves you so much as a child that he is sending this hardship into your life. Right? I can't say I actually like this information. Right? I can't say I exactly relish it, but it's, it's a truth we need to come to grips with. That God shows his love for us as his sons, as his children, by, a, by bringing into our life discipline. Suffering, hardship, difficulties, trials, right? To train us uh, in the path that he has for us. Um, and uh, let me just say this as a side note. As New Testament believers, as those who are God's children by the blood of Jesus, his, punish, his, his discipline is never punishment, right? God's discipline in your life is never, ever punishment. And some people feel that way. They feel like, oh, God's bringing us into my life because of what I did last year, last week, what I said, these bad decisions I made, and God is punishing me. Right? We, we, don't believe in, we don't believe in that, right? Because why? Because Jesus came and he died on the cross as our substitute in our place. Right? He took our place on the cross. And what was our place? What was a place that was our deserved punishment? Right? And Jesus took fully the wrath of God, the punishment for sin in our place. Right, so there's nothing else to be done to pay the price or the penalty for sin. Right? We, we are never punished for sin. Our sin, we are, we, the, Romans says, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ. Right, our sin is covered. We are forgiven completely. The price has been paid. 
and discipline, hardship, suffering is never in our life as a believer a punishment for sin. But there's nothing that can be added to what Jesus did. However, that doesn't mean that God doesn't still need to teach us things through discipline. And his discipline is training. It is, it is building into our lives. It is doing a work in us to make us uh, better, to make us who he wants us to be. Uh, and the proof that we are his son is his discipline. And he goes on and he says, uh, if you are loved, uh, besides, besides this, we have had earthly fathers who disciplined us and we respected them. Or we kind of get that this is what the job of parenting is. And I can't say honestly that I love uh, this part of parenting. Like I'd rather play games with my kids. I'd rather have fun with them. Discipline is not something I look forward to. Now I know there's some of you out there who just love this. Like it's like, just wait. And, and the truth is, uh, sometimes I do want to discipline other people's children, right? <laughs> like, it's like they're this obnoxious brat and they're annoying and they're like, I, and I just want to, I want to discipline them, right? And, and I'm, bring out the whip, right? Let's straighten that kid out. But when, when it's somebody else's kid, my motive is never my great love and compassion for them, right? It's, it's selfish. They're bothering me and I want to deal with what's bothering me, right? But when a parent disciplines, it's very different, or it should be. And I know that there's cases, and some of you may have grown up in families where parents were confused or maybe were uh, dealing with too many of their own sins and issues, and sometimes they were abusive. They misused their power, and they, they hurt you and left wounds and scars. Right? But, but good parents, uh, their heart, their intention, their motivation is to do what's best for their children. And I remember... Uh, on many occasions where I had to do things to discipline my kids. And it was just, I think it was more painful for me than for them. And I remember one particular time when one of uh, our daughters uh, had a really hard time getting up for school. Actually, all of them had a really hard time getting up for school in the morning. Which, by the way, I found the perfect trick. Because we lived in Colorado, it was very cold there. And the water that came out of the tap was like one degree above freezing. And uh, my deal with the girls, I learned this later, was... Uh, if you're not up by this time, you get to take a bath in bed. And I'd come in with my cup of cold water and I'd throw it on them. And I'm telling you, I only had to do that once. And after that, I mean, I'd turn the handle on the door and man, they would pop out of bed. I'm up, I'm up, I'm up. Right? Works great. <clears throat> may not work as good in Thailand. You've got to put some ice cubes in the water maybe. Uh, but, but this particular time, uh, one of our daughters was just having a hard time getting herself up and ready for school, grade school age. And... Um, and, and she needed a consequence, right? And uh, I hadn't come up with the cold water trick yet. So, um, so it's like, you know, I'm leaving to, because we had to take our kids to school to catch the a bus. We had to drive them. And I was like, I'm leaving at this time, ready or not. And I remember this one particular day where it was a very special day at school, a special activity, and she was so excited about this. And I kept trying to wake her up and get her up, get her ready, and she just would not get ready. And so when the time came, I, it killed me, but I got in the truck and I drove away and left her. And she was so angry and so mad, right? But I just felt like this is the right thing, right? This is what I need to do to help her learn. Um, and, and as the, the author, he says, you know, parents do what, what they think is best, right? We have earthly fathers who disciplined us uh, according to what seemed best to them. I don't know if it was best or the right thing, right? Our, our human parents are flawed and imperfect, and sometimes they, with the best of intentions, may do things that are not actually the best. 
But the motive is love, right? The motive for most parents is that they want the best for their kids. Um, Well, the good news is we have a better father, right? Who knows perfectly what is best. And you may have kind of wounds from your childhood where your parents, uh, even though they loved you a lot, did things that actually were not maybe the best for you. That... uh, practice discipline in ways that actually hurt you and cause you resentment and bitterness and, and, and you know, maybe you need to go to counseling, maybe you need to, deal, you need to heal with that, right? And so sometimes we, we come to God and we hear about God as our Father and we're pained that we have to relate to God as a Father because it brings back emotional issues from our past, right? But we need to remember that God is nothing like our earthly parents, Right? He says, for they disciplined us for a short time as it seemed best of them, but God disciplines us for our good. And here's the thing. God is super smart, right? He knows everything. He, he loves us perfectly. He knows where we are weak. He knows where we, where we need training. He knows where we, where we need strengthening and improving. And he knows absolutely the very best mechanism and technique and method to help us grow. Right? So God, uh, he does what is best for us. So what that means is when troubles come into our life, we can be confident that it's not random. It's not just because that's the way life is. It's not because everybody just has to deal with suffering. No, it's because God custom picked, like he handpicked this just for you. Because he's going to use this because he knows Out of his loving, wise, caring heart, he knows this is what you need. And and there should be a confidence in that, right? That we have a father, a good father, a perfect father who disciplines us for our good. He knows what's best and he knows what we need. Uh, Therefore, he says, um, uh, they disciplined us for a short time as best, but he... This one's for us are good that we may share in his holiness. Oh, sorry, verse, verse 9. Uh, Shall we not much more then be subject to the Father of spirits and, and live? So here's the result of all this. He says what we need to do in response to all this as we wrap our heads around God's goodness and love. What we need to do is we need to subject ourselves to him. <clears throat> Which means we, we submit to and we put ourselves under his discipline plan for us. We don't, we don't shake our fist at God and say, God, what are you doing to me? That's what I want to do, right? I don't, I don't question him and say, God, if you really love me, you wouldn't let this trouble come into my life. No, we submit ourselves to his discipline in our life and we, we acknowledge, God, you're a good, caring, loving father who knows everything about me you know what I need, and I, I subject myself. I put myself under your training plan because I know it's going to do what, what needs to be done in my life. Right? And wow, there's good things that come when we can accept that. Right? Instead of fighting against it, uh, instead of being overwhelmed by it and crushed by it and feeling like, man, I can't do this. God's killing me. We have the confidence of knowing, no, God knows what I can take. And he knows how far he can push me. He knows how far he can stretch us. And he will never stretch us to the breaking point. 
Right? He will never push us till we drop dead. He will give us just what we need, just the right amount at just the right time. Right? And so we can sub- submit, surrender, subject ourselves to his plan. Okay, last thought. <laughs> he wraps up in verse, uh, verses 10 and 11 with a couple last thoughts about the, the results of discipline. Uh, and uh, basically, he, he encourages us, we need to go to the gym. Um, this comes from verse 11, where it says, For the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant, but later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. The word trained there is the same Greek word we get the word gymnasium from. Uh, and it has the idea of going to the gym and training. Right? Uh, probably all of us uh, should be going to the gym. And I mean like the real physical gym, like, you know, lifting weights, jumping jacks, running, right? I'm just right now reading a book on the aging brain, and it talks about how as we get older, like I'm getting older, how to keep our brain functioning at peak performance. And I want to do that because um, I'm already feeling it slipping, right? So I want to know how do I keep my brain working? And he has lots of good suggestions. And one of them is, it's vital that we are all exercising, that we are exercising our body and working out and getting uh, and going to the gym. Right? So why do, we, why do we go to the gym? We go to the gym to essentially inflict pain on ourselves. Right? Is that what it's about? You go there and you like torture yourself. Um, you lift weights and you run and you jump around and you get all hot and sweaty. And like, if you want to really go to the extreme, you do like, like, so like a workout could mean, you know, climbing the stairs and doing push-ups and sit-ups and lifting weights and maybe jogging. And like for people who really take this to like the all-out extreme, they go to CrossFit where you do all of those things at once. Like, you know, you run up the stairs carrying somebody doing push-ups and sit-ups as you go. Like, right, that's why I don't do that. Um, we, right, we inflict pain. Why do we do that? Because we are confident, we believe that it will produce some kind of results in my body. Like my gut will shrink a little, uh, I'll have more strength, I'll have more energy, I'll run faster, that it will produce some benefit for us. Um, Probably most of us don't go to the gym, like like this is why I want to go to the gym, I want to go to like exercise my table muscle and practice, you know, putting that spoon of ice cream in my mouth. Yeah, feel that workout. Ten reps. Ah, twenty reps. I'm going to suffer today. Right? Um, We're going to strengthen our fingernails. Go get that manicure. You know, make sure those fingernails are strong. Um, Go get a massage. That's why I'm going to the gym. Is that... But we know know that's not why we go to the gym because that's not going to produce any real long-term benefits. Well, the table muscle thing, you know, even enough ice cream, it will produce a benefit. I'll get bigger. Not necessarily stronger, but bigger. Right now we go to inflict this pain, this suffering, because we know it will strengthen us. Right? And that's the, the picture here. Again, uh, God's discipline is not punishment. It's, it's training. It's equipping us. It's building into us strength, making us all that he wants us to be as his children. And he does that through inflicting on us pain for a season, short term. Right, and the first, so, what, so let me just end with four things, four results that, that uh, his discipline produces. And I think it produces lots more than just this, but the writer of Hebrews here gives us four, discipline, four results or outcomes 
of his of God's training plan in our life. The first one, he says that we may share in his holiness. We may share in his holiness. Now, it's real important we understand this with good theology. What this does not mean is that somehow uh, God's discipline will produce and, and sanctify us, will make us holy beings. But he's already been very clear, as he's explained throughout the book of Hebrews, that we were consecrated, we were made holy, we were cleansed and washed and made pure by what? By the blood of Jesus alone. Right? We are made holy through the work of Christ, not by anything that we do ourselves. So he's not talking here about God disciplining us in a way that, that causes us to be sanctified or made holy. The word here, share, share in his holiness, could be translated to participate in, right? to participate in his holiness. And uh, what he's also told us in this book is that through Jesus, Jesus has opened a way through the curtain into the very presence of God. And we are invited, we are called, in fact, we are expected to go through that curtain into the most holy place, and we are to do and live life in the most holy place in God's presence. But that requires a life that is holy. And of course, we're made holy by the blood of Jesus. So we can go in there, uh, sanctified, washed, made clean, and we have access to the Father uh, through the blood of Jesus. But the experience of participating in his holiness is a different thing. Right? We are made holy, and so we can come into his presence. But for many of us, the experience of being in the holy place is kind of past us. And the reason is because we need to be trained how to walk in that way. And it's something that will develop in our life if we subject ourselves to the discipline of God. It's something we will grow more and more into as God trains us how to participate in the most holy place, how to become more and more aware of God's presence in his work and dealing in our life. Um, that comes through pain and suffering. And if you talk to people who have suffered deeply and have walked through that suffering, subjecting themselves to God's, uh, to God's discipline, they will tell you that when they came out on the other end, they were closer to God. Right? In fact, that's Job's testimony. When he went through all that he went through at the end of the book of Job, he said, well, before I knew about God, but now I have encountered his presence. I've experienced him in a way that's real and personal. And so that's one of the benefits, is that as we surrender ourselves to this uh, discipline, we will know what it means to experience life living in his presence in a more real and tangible way. Second thing, uh, he says that um, our parents, uh, they disciplined us for a short time as it seemed best to them. For the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant. Amen, right? Amen. Nobody says, oh, I just love this suffering. Well, maybe there's a few, but they're just, they need help, right? Most of us don't go, we love this suffering thing, right? It, it's, it's not pleasant. In fact, the word there is that it's, it's, not, it's not joyful, right? The short-term pain is not joyful, but we do it for the long-term benefit. And the long-term benefit, one of them is joy, right? We will experience greater joy, uh, in the long term, when we learn to uh, suffer well, the immediate discipline of the Lord. And the joy is because uh, we will see God transform our life. One of the things that robs us of joy is that we love this world too much. 
Right? We love the things in this world too much. And part of what suffering does is it helps us learn not to love this world so much. Right? That this world is a place of pain and suffering. And it turns our heart to love uh, the eternal more, which is the only place we will ever find joy. Third thing, it gives us the fruit of peace. Right? We will harvest the fruit of peace. Uh, when we have the perspective that God's discipline is a good thing, that it's from a loving God who cares for us and who's doing it to make us the very best we can be, there's incredible peace in that. Right? Because I know my life is in God's hands and it's going to be okay. Right? It's going to be okay. Uh, God's going to take care of me and he's going to carry me through the hard times. Right? Then there's a calm and a peace that comes with that. Uh, the commentator F.F. F. Bruce puts it this way, the person who accepts discipline at the hand of God as something designed by his heavenly Father for his good will, for his good, will cease to feel resentful and rebellious. He has calmed and quieted his soul, which thus provides fertile soil for the cultivation of a righteous life, responsive to the will of God. And there's a calming of soul that comes when we know I'm right where I'm supposed to be, right, in the midst of these hardships. And God is working in my life to produce good fruit, good character, good things. And I can be at peace about that. I can be calm about that. And lastly, it does produce in us the rewards of righteousness. And again, uh, Jesus makes us right before God through his blood. Right? It's not that suffering is going to make us right with God. Jesus' blood alone does that. Uh, but there's a difference between standing before God and being counted as right and living a life that's in line with that righteousness. Uh, suffering will help us bring our daily life in line with how we really are before God. It will help us become obedient. And it does that by teaching us uh, to trust God, who's a loving Father, who's taking care of us. Uh, this comes after this great chapter on faith. And it really is a great act of faith that we do this. Right? That we believe that God is a good, caring, loving God, who is a Father to us. And we are to Him precious and dear children. And he wants the very, absolute, very best for us. And he's not going to let anything into our life except that which will bring about his good purpose and plan in our life. Do you believe that? Right? Do we trust that? If we do, uh, we will subject ourselves, we will submit ourselves uh, to his discipline. And we will uh, welcome it as an instrument of training. Right, as God's gym, producing in us uh, his character, uh, helping us to experience his presence, and to um, fill us with his joy. All right, let's pray. You've been listening to a sermon recorded at Chiang Mai Christian Fellowship in Chiang Mai, Thailand. For more information, please view our website at www.ccfth.com dot o r g